Hey, Pastor Josh here. Thanks so much for watching our videos. If you'd like more information about Legacy City Church, you can go to LegacyCityChurch.com. Please don't forget to like, subscribe, and hit the bell below. God bless you. Hey, Legacy Pastor Josh here. So sorry I'm not with you this morning to worship and to study God's Word. Well, actually, I am online, but uh, we are on vacation and actually heading back right now back home to LA and it's been a nice week to relax and enjoy some time together um, but we are just spending some time celebrating Katie's birthday and some time with the little babe before our very little babe shows up our son and so we are uh, rested and excited to get back in the game this week uh, I've left you in the hands of a very special speaker and guest uh, very thankful for this brother we met I think Again, it was probably 10 years ago. Every guest speaker I bring is like 10 years ago. Um, but uh, he was helping serve in uh, Harvest Orange County. And uh, we actually helped uh, start the junior high and high school ministry out there. And uh, I've known him as a street witness guy. He loves to share the gospel and evangelism. He is an amazing uh, man of God and just a real man's man. And you'll know why in just a second. Uh, but uh, just the way he loves his wife and his family and his job and his ministry, uh, he's a real blessing. He's written some amazing books. I want to encourage you to check them out. He's going to give you specifics on those at the end of the talk today. But I uh, want you to give a warm welcome to former Navy SEAL Chad Williams. Hey guys, what's going on? Chad Williams here. Uh, Pastor Josh is a, a dear friend and he's invited me to come out and speak to you all uh, today. Uh, just to kind of give you guys a little bit of background on myself. I'm a, a former U.S. Navy SEAL. And to kind of give you an idea of what a Navy SEAL is, I imagine most of you do probably know, but there was a time where a girl asked me if that meant that I worked at SeaWorld or something, as she put it. Uh, so SEAL is actually an acronym, and it stands for the Areas of Operation, Sea, Air, and Land. And to kind of give you a feel of what my team was doing on land on the last deployment that I was involved in. We're out in Iraq and we're given the task of hunting down some very evil men that make suicide vests and those roadside bombs called IEDs. And while we're out there, we're working alongside this group called the ISOP. That's the Iraqi Special Operation Forces. And one of our goals with these guys is to teach them how to fight their own fights. And so we figured the best way to do that is to not only train them on base, but actually go outside of the wire and fight side by side with them. And if you can imagine a whole deployment going by, I'd say pretty good, because we've bagged and gagged some pretty bad dudes or making the world a better place and coming up on what looked like just enough time on the calendar to do maybe one more operation. And so we decided, since we only have time for one more operation, and we're not really sure if the ISOF is ready for us to pass that baton off to them as we go out, why don't we try and make this a sort of graduation operation? We'll let them plan the whole thing from the ground up, and we'll be there with them just in case things go bad. So they start from scratch, hitting the streets. They need some intel. And they find this source that tells them about a man that's an Iraqi policeman. So we're looking into this guy that's a policeman by day. But at night, back home, he's one of these bomb makers that we're looking for. And so the ISOF comes up with this whole plan, how they want to approach the house, get in, grab this guy, and extract. It all checks out, looks pretty good. And they mentioned one other unique thing, though. They said, hey, look, we realize, the ISOF, that we get shot at more than you SEALs do. And we think we know why. So we're kind of curious. Okay, what, what do you think that it is? And they say, it's the color of your uniforms. And we're kind of laughing at that, like the, the color of our uniforms, not the way we shoot, move, communicate, nothing to do with tactics. You think it comes down to the mere color of a uniform. And they're convinced and so they wanted us to do something with them. They're saying, look, we're wondering if you'd be willing to maybe take off your American colored uniforms and we got a pile of ISOF uniforms you guys could put on. So, all right, let's get this straight. You want us to put on your uniforms to hypothetically get shot at more with you and they get a big smile on their face. Yes. It's like, fine, final operation. We'll put the uniforms on. Well, the funny thing is, is you know, my dark complexion, start growing out a little facial hair, then get on one of these Iraqi Special Operation Force uniforms. I've got that thing on. I'm looking around. I'm like, wow, really starting to blend in with these guys. In fact, some of the guys on my team are looking over at me like, hey, Williams, you really look like you're blending in with those guys over there. It's like, all right, I guess I am. And on this funnel operation, 
I'm standing up in the Humvee. It's that section called the turret. You see it sometimes in the movies. I'm the guy behind the big machine gun. I've got the 50 caliber machine gun in front of me. And for anyone that's not familiar with that weapon, let's just say that's a weapon that could really reach out and touch somebody. And so I got my night vision goggles on. I'm looking through my green little world and just going over this mental inventory as I'm thinking about all the things I know about this night, just checking off the boxes in my mind. I know my weapon is headspace and time. That means it's ready to go. I know where this guy lives, how we're going to approach, get in, grab the guy, extract. But one unique thing I know about this operation that does make it different than every other operation. I know this is the final operation, which also means I know just a matter of days from now, I'll be back in my hometown, Southern California, surfing in the ocean. Uh, But one thing that none of us really knew about that night was that we were actually being set up the entire time to get thrown in the absolute worst circumstances we'd been in on this entire deployment as we're being set up on an ambush. And we suddenly find ourselves engaging in this gun battle for our lives. And it was truly the team's ability to shoot, move, communicate, and do what we do best as Navy SEALs that ultimately led to the possibility of me sitting here before you alive today. Now, before I get into the details of how that played out, I want to jump into the scriptures here, and I want to look at another soldier, a man by the name of Naaman. And this guy, had there been Navy SEALs during his time, I I think that he would have been one. And so you're going to open up your Bible, please, if you haven't, or scroll to it, whatever you got a device, to 2 Kings chapter 5. So 2 Kings chapter 5, starting in verse 1. And what I'll do is I'll read verses 1 through 5, and then we'll jump ahead uh, to verses 9 through 14. So 2 Kings chapter 5, I'm reading from the New King James Version, and I'll just go ahead and begin. Starting in verse 1, it says, Now Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great and honorable man in the eyes of his master, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was also a mighty man of valor, but a leper. And the Syrians had gone out on raids, and they brought back captive a young girl from the land of Israel. She waited on Naaman's wife. And then she said to her mistress, If only my master were with the prophet who is in Samaria, for he would heal him of his leprosy. And Naaman went in and told his master, saying, Thus and thus says the girl who is from the land of Israel. Then the king of Syria said, Go, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he departed and took with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten changes of clothing. Quick translation, he's bringing the equivalent of millions upon millions of dollars in gold, silver, and he's bringing some apparel. He's prepared to pay this guy off. He's going to give him his wealth, his riches, do whatever you can. Just, I need my life back. This thing's terminal. I've got leprosy dying from it nobody during the time of Naaman had ever been healed of leprosy Jesus words and so jumping ahead to verse 9 we find Naaman in route he's on his way and keep in mind this is enemy occupied territory that he's going into about a 150 mile trip he's making with his horses and chariots verse 9 then Naaman went with his horses and chariot and he stood at the door of Elisha's house And Elisha sent a messenger to him saying, go and wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh will be restored to you and you shall be clean. But Naaman became furious and he went away and said, indeed, I said to myself, he will surely come out to me and stand and call the name of the Lord, his God, wave his hand over the place and heal the leprosy. Are not the Abana? The far part, the rivers of Damascus, far better than all the waters of Israel. Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and he went away in a rage. And his servants came near and spoke to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? So how much more then when he says to you, wash and be clean? So he went down. And dipped seven times in the Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. Let's pray. Father, we just take this time now asking that, Lord, that you would be all over it. 
Lord, I pray for everyone uh, that's watching, everyone that's listening right now, that your hand would be upon them. Uh, Lord, as we are in your word here, I I pray that you would speak. Uh, We remember that your word is, is living and powerful, that your word is a constant witness, a constant testimony to us. Uh, as it says that, that these things were written for our learning and for our understanding. And so, Lord, I just pray that your word would really saturate in the hearts and minds of, of all of us, that it would begin to truly transform us, change the way that we think, change the way that we look at things, that we would be more like Jesus. And I pray that you would use each and every one of us. And so, Lord, just have your time, your, your, your hand upon this time here. Be with us and speak to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, relevance of this passage uh, coming up shortly. Uh, but to kind of give you guys a little bit of a picture of my road to becoming a SEAL, uh, fresh out of high school, attending a local community college, I didn't have any real big plans. In fact, I found myself not passing any of my classes. I was ditching, hanging out with friends. I'm pulling into the school parking lot as it's time to take finals, those big tests at the end of the year. And for whatever reason, it it took that moment right there for it to really sink in and hit me as I'm pulling into that parking lot. Like, wow, I'm turning out to be a loser. I mean, the kind of guy that no young person wants to be. You know, when you're younger, what do you get told? Hey, you got all the potential in the world. The sky's the limit. And these things are all true. But there does come a certain time or point in life where you start to kind of question, hey, what trajectory am I on right now? And so all of my peers are, are passing my, me by. I can't even make it at this local community college. And so I really felt like I was in a desperate situation. And perhaps it was a good spot for me to be in. You know, sometimes I operate better that way. You know, when my back is a, up against the ropes, the, the greater the need, the greater the result. And so... Now I'm brainstorming as I'm sitting in this parking lot realizing I'm not even going to pass these these finals. I don't stand a chance. How do I turn this boat around? And so as I'm brainstorming, I think I come up with the perfect plan. I know what I'm going to do with my life. I'm going to go become an Alaskan crab fisherman. I'm watching Deadliest Catch at the time. I'm thinking by far one of the most dangerous jobs in the world, bragging rights in that. It was attractive to me. And then I thought a little bit more, wait a minute, no, why can't I go join the military? And not just that, I want to I want to be a part of the most elite. I want to go through that most difficult, grueling military training. I know what I want to be. I want to be a Navy SEAL. And so sitting there in that school parking lot, failing all these classes, I make up my mind. That's what I'm going to do with my life. I'm going to be a Navy SEAL. And so my first step is this. First order of business, well... I don't need to go to school anymore because I'm going to be a Navy SEAL. Started my truck up and took off out of that parking lot and never took those finals. I'm all in. And I got to let my old man know, my my pops. Hey, dad, you know, I got some bad news as I presented it and some good news. So I let him know the bad news, what's going on at school. Of course, he's face palming. And and the good news, son, the good news, dad, it's all right because I got a plan. I'm going to be a Navy SEAL. And so you can kind of try and put yourself in his shoes for a moment there. Here's your son who hasn't really stuck with a lot of things that he's started, right? Uh, He didn't stick with the skateboarding thing or the baseball thing. He's not making it at the local community college, but he's letting you know, oh, but I'm going to be a Navy SEAL. And so he's trying to be the voice of reason and letting me know that, son, all of these other things that you've started and, and never really ended with, ended up with, um, joining the military is not like any of those other things. You know, you, you can't just stop in the military and that's it. He says, if you join the military and maybe you find out this isn't for you, maybe you realize this isn't really your thing. There's no just getting out. You will still be in the military. And, you know, you're probably going to get a job in the military like chip and paint off some boat in Japan. Well, those are motivating words to me right there. Honestly, though, because... I was determined, like, I'm going to prove him otherwise, and I am not that person. And so I start preparing right away. All the running and swimming, pull-ups and push-ups, and as days go by, maybe he could tell I'm taking this serious, because I remember he invites me into his room. He wants to talk. So he says, so you really want to do this, huh? You want to be a SEAL? Yeah, Dad, I want to be a SEAL. He goes, great. I set up a workout for you with a Navy SEAL. Check out my computer screen. And I'll never forget, looking over at that computer screen, thinking, 
How did my dad meet a Navy SEAL? He doesn't have any SEAL friends. What is this? I'm skeptical. And I read this little one-liner that just says in the email, can Chad come out and play tomorrow? And I'm like, play? Like, dad, let me get this straight. You met some guy off the internet that says he wants to play with me. And you're arranging this whole thing right now. He goes, oh, no, he's really a SEAL, son. I'm telling him you can't trust every word someone tells you off the internet, dad. There's a lot of fakes out there. He goes, no, this guy's a SEAL. I'm like, okay, fine. I'll go meet up with the Navy SEAL. Oh, well, as it turns out, there's more of a conversation he had with this Navy SEAL that I had no clue about at the time. I got the backstory months later, but I'll give it to you up front. So he was actually on the phone prior to that email. And he says, hey, look, my son wants to be a SEAL, but here's the deal. He has no idea what he's signing up for. He does not know what he's getting involved in. And so I'm wondering if you could do me a really big favor. What I'm asking you to do is I need you to crush him. I need you to just bury him, beat this desire of becoming a SEAL out of him if you can. And so he thought about it on the phone, didn't get an answer. But in that email, the reply was the answer, can Chad come out and play tomorrow? So I have no idea what I'm getting involved in as I'm meeting up with this Navy SEAL in a beach parking lot in Oceanside, California. He's spotting me right away, locked in. You, Chad? Uh, yes, sir. <laughs> All right, Bubba. I was Bubba from that point forward with this guy. Get on over here. And so he's got me going through it, right? The push-ups and sit-ups and pull-ups. And then he sends me off on a run out into the wetlands. He says he's going to catch up with me. He's got some gear he wants to clean up back at the truck, but just keep going down that trail away from the ocean out into the wetlands and he'll be there with me 15 minutes into it. So 15 minutes into the run, I'm looking at my little G-Shock and I'm not seeing this Navy SEAL. And I'm looking over my shoulder thinking, where is this guy? He said he's going to catch up on the run. And I don't know where I'm going. All I know is I'm basically running away from civilization right now off in the middle of nowhere, not seeing anybody around. And as I'm looking back and I'm seeing this guy, I start realizing, I start getting this idea in my head, like, hey, maybe, maybe I'm too fast for this Navy SEAL. He can't catch up on the run. And I'm celebrating now in my mind, like how the Navy SEAL can't even catch up with me on the run. And then I look over my shoulder again, and it is like a scene out of Terminator 2. You might remember the movie Arnold Schwarzenegger, and he's up against this bad dude called the T-1000 that can like morph into knife hands and chase down a moving vehicle. Well, that's the Navy SEAL, like a T-1000 coming down this trail for me, knife hands, right? And there's nothing I can do to keep that distance. He's closing the gap, catches up to where I am, and I never saw what was coming next. I am physically assaulted by the guy. I'm greeted by his fist just going right into my stomach, impaled, feet off the ground. I'm getting clothesline, back on the ground, poof and dirt up all around me. I've got the wind knocked out of me, and you got to put yourself in my shoes for a moment here. Here I am, out in the wetlands, the middle of nowhere, with some guy my dad met off the internet. I'm thinking child predator, like this is going down right now. And he's not stopping there. He's jumping on top of me now and just ragdolling me, throwing me around, screaming in my face, going nuts. I just feel the spit flying out, hitting me in the cheeks, the forehead, not understanding a word that he's saying. But then these words do come through. He says, you want to be a Navy SEAL? You better stay three paces behind me. And there was something about that moment right there. It was like a light switch went on. All the pain for a moment just kind of lifted. And I had this moment of clarity. Like this is it. And this is for real. And if I quit right now, I just knew this is it, man. I'll forever be a quitter. The way I respond in this moment, this is going to affect the trajectory of the rest of my life. And so like it or not, I'm being called upon. And so he gets up and he says it one more time. He says, three paces, and he turns and takes off. So I'm going after this guy. And I'll tell you what, looking back in hindsight, as this went on for miles, and it took everything I had to stay on his heels, I have never suffered like that through a workout. I stayed on his heels, though. And looking back in hindsight, after having gone through SEAL training, I could say I never went through a workout. I never went through a beatdown session like this encounter with this Navy SEAL by the name of Scott Helvenston. Uh, But we finally get to this point. Or he ends it. He circles up and he's pacing back and forth. He's looking at me like he wants to rip me apart. And at the time, you know, I'm put yourself in my shoes. I'm some teenage skater punk kid. 
I, I don't want to project to the Navy SEAL that I'm wanting to fight him. And so I'm thinking, all right, this guy really wants to attack me right now. No direct eye contact. Don't do anything to set him off. Just uh, use your peripherals, right? <laughs> and uh, he breaks this awkward tension by asking me, he says, hey, if we would have gone another mile or two, would you have stayed with me? And I just told him truly what was in my heart. I said, Scott, I'll die before I quit. And he just gets this big smile on his face. Great. You wanted me to begin in front of the workout tomorrow? Now I'm kind of thinking in the back of my mind, are we going to address the flashback this guy had on the trail? You know, like what was that all about? He really attacked me. You know, but I realized, all right, if this is what it takes, I'll meet up and I'll do this again if I have to tomorrow. And I'll do it again the next day after that. I really want this thing. Oh, well, the good news is it never was like that again. Uh, I met up with uh, Scott again. And uh, from that point forward, it was no longer these beat down sessions. It became more of a building up. And I would later find out he got on the phone with my dad and told him, look, I know what you want me to do. And trust me, I gave it a go. Uh, but I think your son might have what it takes to make it. I'd like to start working with him. So from that point forward, I began to meet up with Scott. And uh, he really became like a second father to me. And I, I no longer was this, this Bubba. Eventually, I became junior. You know, as he really took me under his wing. He's mentoring me, training me. And he truly did get me ready. And Scott is an extraordinary Navy SEAL. I mean, not only is this guy a SEAL, he's the SEAL of SEALs. He's a world champion panathlete. He's the fastest Navy SEAL in the SEAL training obstacle course. Uh, he's the only man to beat the beast on a TV program called Man vs. Beast, where he raced a chimpanzee through an obstacle course and pulled ahead of the monkey on monkey bars. Okay, so this is the guy that's preparing me. Uh, but he got me ready and I signed up. And so I got a date. It's set. I'm going to be shipping off to boot camp. And uh, he takes an opportunity to put it to go overseas again. So he's on the phone with me as he's rolling out. He's telling me, all right, Junior, I'm about to go do this thing. He's referring to going off to Iraq. And he says, I just want you to know something, though, that I've never told anybody that I've ever trained before. He says, I know you're going to make it through SEAL training. And to hear those words from my mentor, I'll never have the words to describe, you know, what that meant to me. Other than, man, like I couldn't wait for my opportunity to prove him right. And so we're off the phone. And so he's reminding me, though, before he gets off, that he's only going to be gone a couple months, and that's about the same amount of time I'll be at boot camp. So when I start SEAL training in Coronado, San Diego, he says, he'll be back. And he says, we're going to see him make it through. So we get off. We say our goodbyes. And so now Scott's off to Iraq. I got a matter of days before I go off to boot camp. I figure if I can't work out with him in person, what's the next best thing? I'll do some of these workouts we've done together in the past under the program. So I'm getting up one day, turn on the television, and... Uh, I can't believe what I see on the screen because I'm looking at a picture of Scott on TV smiling. And I'm thinking, what's Scott doing on TV right now? I thought he's supposed to be off in Iraq as I'm looking at the still image of him smiling. That's when I noticed in the lower third of the screen, Scott's birth date, followed by a dash. And it says March 31st, 2004. And before I could even process in my mind, like translate the meaning of that, I didn't have that opportunity. It switched from a smiling image of him to suddenly now I'm looking at graphic video footage. First, a vehicle that's just engulfed in flames in the background, which turns out to be the vehicle that Scott was in. And then it cuts to these different scenes of an, an angry Iraqi mob that has ripped the, the bodies out of the vehicles. And one of them is Scott. And they've got sticks and rods. And they're beating and wailing away, doing everything they can to try and mutilate their bodies. And then another scene where they wrap rope around the legs and they hook them up to vehicles and they go dragging Scott and these three other Americans through the streets of Fallujah in Iraq as though it's a parade, a celebration. And they ultimately arrive at the Euphrates River Bridge, stringing the bodies upside down, setting them on fire, and then looking into a camera. And this image is imprinted in my mind as they are chanting over and over, celebrating, saying Fallujah is the graveyard of Americans. Fallujah is the graveyard of Americans. I think Prilly needs to say I'll never have the words to describe what all those surrounding events and moments were like. It's one of those things that does radically change you as a human being. I went through all the emotions. I'm not going to lie. Even revenge was a huge thing on my mind. It was a motivator. I'm going to go over there and get these guys. I'm going to do whatever it takes to make it through training to go after these guys. 
And that's not the proper motivation. But I will say, I'm just trying to be transparent. At the time, uh, that was a, a huge motivator to me. I also wanted to walk in my mentor's footsteps. I felt like there's just this huge void and emptiness in my life now. And for whatever reason, I just thought, you know, if I could just become a seal and walk in his footsteps, walk in his shoes, you know, like that will be the beginning maybe. Uh, That will be where everything kind of just coalesces and comes together. Life will make sense once I get to that point. So I kind of accept that everything just feels really off orbit right now and disorienting. But once I become a seal, uh, that's where I'll get my bearing again. And so I enter into the military. I make it through boot camp. I make it through... SEAL training. Uh, Just to kind of give you guys an idea just how tough SEAL training is, I'll just kind of give you the numbers on my class. I start with a number of 173 guys, and we all vow the same thing. We'll die before we quit. Uh, But by graduation day, there's only 13 of that original class number still standing there. And I'll never forget that moment walking out during graduation as I'm about to get pinned. I'm about to get uh, this emblem called the Trident. It's our insignia. That says, you've done it. Welcome to the Brotherhood. You're a Navy SEAL. That's your identity now. And not only was this one of the happiest, most fulfilling moments of my life, is this thing was pinned into my chest. I got my family, my friends there. I remember exactly where I was at as I was looking up, thinking, Scott, we did this. Because I had his name written on the inside of my hat as a constant reminder of motivation to make it through. This was by far one of the happiest, most fulfilling moments of my life. But the strange thing was, It didn't take more than 24 hours before I felt like I was going through some of the lowest times and everything seemed to just go downhill and circle the drain from that point forward. And I couldn't wrap my mind around why at the time, you know, I just achieved this thing that was the ultimate. And it was years later that I heard these words spoken by the late Ravi Zacharias. And I thought those words hit the nail on the head. That's exactly what I experienced graduation day. And so this is what he said. He says, one of the loneliest moments a man will ever experience is when he's achieved that which he thought would deliver the ultimate. And in the end, it lets him down. One of the loneliest moments a man will ever experience when he's achieved that which he thought would deliver the ultimate. In the end, that thing lets him down. You're all familiar with this. You've experienced it, at least to some degree. Let me break it down kind of works like this. You know, a lot of us in life, we're not necessarily happy or satisfied with where we're at. And so what do we do? Well, we come up with a plan. We got goals. We realize that where we're at is not a good spot. But once I could get to this goal or this achievement, and maybe that's a certain level of education. Maybe that's paying off a loan. Maybe it's a relationship that you want to have. Or maybe now that you're married, you think what we're missing in our life is children. And so whatever it is, you keep moving the bar, climbing the corporate ladder, buying into the belief that that is going to be the thing that delivers satisfaction, significance, meaning, value for you. And so you develop a hunger for that thing. You hunger for it. And the hunger leads to some good stuff. The good stuff is the drive, the hard work, the discipline. And have you ever gotten to that achievement, that mark that you're trying to hit? You eat it up and you are satisfied just like you thought you would be. But what happens? The satisfaction doesn't last like you expected it to. So what do you do? Well, you don't panic here. You kind of step back for a moment. You put on your thinking cap. And as you're brainstorming, what's going on here? A light goes off. You realize, oh, I know what the problem is. The reason this didn't give me that lasting fulfillment that I was expecting is simple. I didn't go for something big enough. If I really want it to last, I need to raise the bar. I need to go to the next rung of the ladder. I need to shoot up the totem pole more. So that's exactly what you do. You raise the bar. You've got that new goal or achievement in your sights now. And this one, you're thirsting after it. And that thirst leads to that hard work, that drive, that discipline. You get there, you drink it up, and this is the one. It delivers, right? You're satisfied. But what happens? It's like a vicious cycle. You get hungry and thirsty all over again, and seemingly there just is no end. But that's the catch. And that is the whole point to this quote, is that there is an end point. See, the big question is this. What happens when you finally arrive at a position or a place 
where you no longer could go back like all the other times before, put on your thinking cap and say, oh, I know what I'll do. I'll just raise the bar. I'll go to the next rung of the ladder. No, you can't do that this time. Why? Because you're at the last rung of the ladder. You can't say that I'll just shoot up from here, gain a little bit more elevation. Why? Because you're at the peak of the mountain. There's no more climbing up to do. And just like all the other times before, you're hungry and thirsty for more. But worse than all the other times, there is no next. That's where you get those words. One of the loneliest moments a person will ever experience is when they've achieved that which they thought delivered the ultimate in the end, it lets them down. And this isn't something unique to me. This is something you see play out all the time. If you haven't personally experienced it, you see it in the lives of professional athletes, rock stars, movie stars that seemingly have achieved everything that the world has to offer. They're at the top. And what do we see going on in their lives as you read the magazine, open up a a newspaper, flip on the television? What you see going on in their lives is this constant drama where they're destroying their own lives with drugs and alcohol. And we're like, why? You've got the dream job. You've got a job where you go to parts unknown and just film it taking his own life. What is going on in the lives of these people? We can't wrap our mind around it. Don't you know what people would trade to be in your shoes and you're just throwing this all away? Well, maybe they really do have all that the world has to offer and it's not like we think it is. It's not, as they say, all that it's cracked up to be. In fact, the wisest man that ever walked the face of this planet, he phrased it this way. He says, what's it profit a man if he gains the whole world, but in the end loses his soul? And so in a sense, becoming a Navy SEAL, that was my version of gaining the whole world. I gained it. The reality, the problem that I didn't understand at the time, my soul. My soul was not oriented correctly. And the reality is, if you don't have peace with your creator, you should not expect to have any peace in your life while you're here on earth. And so I don't go on any kind of spiritual quest at this point. I kind of felt like I exhausted all the options. And so I'm just going to live this thing out. Figured if anything, I've got to look forward to is, again, maybe getting a little revenge for Scott overseas. It's not a good fuel to live off of, but that's just kind of where I was at. And so I get put on a a SEAL team, SEAL Team 1. And as we're preparing and, and getting ready for a deployment, my life was really beginning to unravel Uh, on the off time. That off time was very dangerous time for me because I would use it to do whatever made me feel. I felt like I didn't feel anymore. I just felt so numb, so calloused. So what made me feel? Drinking. That stimulated me. And I would just take it too far. Drinking into an oblivion to the point of just blackout, drunk. I woke up one day, long story short, needing 26 stitches in my knuckles after an incident. And I've got family confronting me, telling me, look, you're losing it. You're a seal, but you're not keeping it together. You're going out drinking all the time. You're going to get yourself killed or somebody else killed. We, we, can't, we can't enable this anymore. We don't want you around. I was just using my hometown, which wasn't too far from where my seal team was at. I was just using the old room that I used to have as sort of a, a crash pad, a place to sleep off you know, the, the rest of the night. And so I wish I could tell you I felt remorse at the time, but I I didn't. I just thought I just need to buy myself a little bit more time. I had intentions of drinking the next night. And so I show up and I had a a keg of beer that was stashed away that I was going to get into. Getting really confronted though. My dad's letting me know you're not welcome at our home anymore. So I realized, all right, buy myself some time. I know what they want. They've been trying to get me to go to church for a long time. And, you know, I'm not an atheist. I believe in God. You know, Christianity, that's, uh, you know, that's my team. <laughs> and it was nothing really more than that to me. It's kind of like, you know, that's, that's the team. If my family was a Catholic, I probably would have been a Catholic, right? I, I didn't know what it really was to have a true relationship with God through the Savior. And so I go, all right, I'll, I'll go back to church with you guys. I thought I could suffer through it. Punch my card in at church. This thing will be over. You know, it was an evening thing, middle of the week. It'll be over by 9 o'clock at night. I'm not even going to start drinking probably until like, you know, 10 o'clock anyways. So when we get back, they'll be so happy I went. I'll fall right off their radar. They'll go to sleep. 
and then I'll grab that keg of beer, and off I go with my friends. And so I agree to go, we go. There's a man speaking there that night by the name of Greg Laurie. And he opens up to the passage that we read, 2 Kings chapter 5. And so if I could now, I would like to give you guys a breakdown of that text and how it really struck me. And so 2 Kings chapter 5, we read, we read about Naaman. Now remember, Naaman, he is this commander. He's the commander of the army of the king of Syria. He could have been a Navy SEAL had there been such a thing during his time. He was special forces. It says very special things about him. He was a mighty man of valor. Just imagine what Naaman must have looked like, right? Imagine the status that he had. You know, he is the commander, the king of the army of Syria. Even the king wants to rub shoulders with Naaman. It says the king's his friend, right? So this this status that he has, his identity, it's getting him into places, rubbing shoulders with the king. The armor that he has, what an incredible man, this mighty man of valor. But what's the real Naaman underneath it all? Well, the real Naaman underneath it all, as we read, but Naaman had leprosy. Now, leprosy... During the time of Naaman, let's just say that this was a little worse than some case of eczema. Leprosy during the time of Naaman, Jesus looking back in the New Testament said of him, nobody during the time of Naaman had ever been healed of leprosy. It was a death sentence. It was terminal. And so now you get the real picture of what's going on with Naaman. It's all a facade on the outside. Yeah, he's this certain man on the outside. Yeah, he's got that armor. He's this mighty man of valor. But what's the truth? What's really going on underneath it all? What do you got going on under that under that armor there, Naaman? Well, the truth is, is that he's got this horrible skin disease, leprosy. It's deteriorating him. He's falling apart. He's literally a dead man walking. Well, how quickly I relate with that man right there. And maybe you can relate with that person as well. Think about it right now. Who are you? What kind of person are you on the outside? What kind of armor are you wearing in front of your co-workers, the family members that you're with in the house or your friends? Who are you on social media when in reality, there's a whole different person going on underneath it all? Naaman had his leprosy, his disease. He was falling apart and we got an issue going on underneath it all. That is destroying us as well. Naaman's disease was leprosy. Our disease, you could call it SIN positive. And the consequences are very serious. Naaman's leprosy leads to death. Guess what the Bible says about sin? The wages of sin is death. And that's not just a mere physical death. What that is referring to right there is the second death. It's the lake of fire. The Bible says it's appointed once for man to die. Then comes the judgment. And so just as Naaman couldn't do anything to fix himself of his leprosy, right? Imagine, he's probably tried everything. He's probably gone and tried to wash it off. He's probably seen the soothsayers. No one can fix him of this. He's desperate. And when what do, what do we read? We read about this servant girl. Verse 3. This little servant girl. I'll jump Back to verse 2. And the Syrians had gone out of raids and brought back captive a young girl from the land of Israel. She waited on Naaman's wife. Then she said to her mistress, If only my master were with the prophet who was in Samaria, for he would heal him of his leprosy. That little girl spoke up. That little girl is the unsung hero of this story. She's the evangelist in this whole thing. Imagine the trajectory that got completely changed here. What would have happened if she didn't speak up? And so God used these words of a a little girl. Don't miss that. And so Naaman's desperate. He's tried everything he could try. And so he decides, I'm going to do it. And so remember, this is enemy-occupied territory that he's going to. So he's going to need the okay from the king. So he goes to the king. He's trying to get his permission. He says, look, here's the deal. Thus and thus says the girl who's from the land of Israel. What's the king say? Go. Go. I'll send a letter to the king of Israel. And so he departs. And he's got his letter. He's basically, he's got his hall pass, right? He's going. 150 mile trip. Horses and chariots. And we see 
Then he finally gets there to the place. He gets to Elisha's house. Imagine what this would have been like for Naaman as he's there at the door and Elisha doesn't even come to the door. Huge insult, especially during that time. It's almost proportional. The, the, the more important of a person you are, the farther they come out to greet you, right? If a king's coming to a, a town or a city, they don't just come out their front door. They'll meet that king outside the city gates as a welcoming party, bringing him in. So you can see the proportionality to it, right? Naaman, this mighty man of valor, he's got his guys with him, his entourage. They're there at the door, and this guy doesn't even come out to the door to greet him face to face. Instead, huge insult, sends a servant to simply relay a message. And the message basically was, oh yeah, see that Jordan River over there? If you just go out there and dip in it seven times when you come up, your flesh will be restored to you. You will be clean. Naaman's thinking, try and wash it off? think I haven't tried to wash it off yet. And so what the Bible says, Naaman's response, if you're wondering, you don't have to wonder. He's venting out loud. It's all right there in the scriptures. First, Naaman becomes furious. He turns, he goes away in a rage. And he's saying exactly what he was thinking out loud. He's saying, you know, go try and wash it off. He says, I expected this guy to come out. I thought he was going to do something spectacular. Wave his hand over the place. Call in the name of the Lord his God and just strike the leprosy away. Instead, I get told just go wash it off. Think I haven't tried that? Think I don't have better waters where I'm from in Damascus? The, the waters of the Abana and the far part. And so he's leaving in this rage. And you haven't caught it yet. What's Naaman's real problem here? Naaman's real obstacle that he's dealing with is himself. It's his pride. And I think that's it for all of us too. And so as he's leaving in this rage, and I'll tell you what, if he keeps going down that direction, he will die in his leprosy. Thankfully, Naaman was surrounded by some men that care about him. They're looking out for him. And I'm sure they don't have the magical words. They're just saying what they can, right? And this is how God works sometimes. You might be that friend that needs to say the words to somebody at some point. Or maybe these people have said the words to you. Or the same way, they're just trying to get Naaman back. This is what they know. We just need to get our Naaman back in front of that God of Israel and step back and let the fireworks happen. Something supernatural is going to take place. They, I think they've figured out that much. And so maybe you're like, I just need to get my friend in front of the, the message of the God of Israel. That's what you got to do. Get him in front of the message of the God of Israel, the gospel, and then step back. Just deliver the mail. And God's the one that ultimately adds the increase. And so they're just using whatever words they have. Oh, come on, Naaman, Naaman. You know, if this guy came out and gave you some big, great thing to do, you would have done it. That's what they say. They're reasoning with them. And so they say, you know, how much more than just simply go wash and be clean? And it's true. What, what, if, what if the prophet did come out and put on a big show, right? Rolls out the red carpet for Naaman. Oh, Naaman, what an honor to have you here. I've heard of you, the mighty man of valor. Well, we're going to fix you of your leprosy. And you have got quite the rite of passage before you. Kick off your shoes. We've got broken glass. You're going to run over it for the next 150 miles. And at the end of the road, you will be cleansed of your leprosy. Naaman would probably go for an odyssey like that, right? He'd be kicking off his shoes. Oh, I can earn it through hard work, blood, sweat, and tears. Discipline, show me where to begin. But it wasn't a big, mighty, great thing to do like that. He didn't give him some big, great thing to do, as these men pointed out. He gave him a very simple thing to do. And because it was a simple thing, what did it seem like to Naaman? Because it was a simple thing, it seemed like a foolish thing. Isn't that exactly what the New Testament says about what people think about the gospel message? It says that the message of the cross is what? It says foolishness. The message of the cross is foolishness to who? To those that are perishing. Well, no doubt about it. Naaman is in a state of perishing here, but something these guys say 
Only God knows. <laughs> Something these guys say God used and it got through. And so he decides, okay, I'll do it. And so he's turning around. And as he's making that 180 to make his way out to the water, there's a whole lot more going on than a mere physical change of direction. I would say that there is a spiritual change of direction going on here. There is a physical, a mental, an emotional, and a spiritual change going on. In a sense, it's a turning away from darkness, as the New Testament puts it, and turning toward light. It's repentance. And repentance, what is that? It's not just saying, oh, I'm sorry I got caught. No, it's a lot more than that. Judas was sorrow, sorrowful, it says. But he had the type of sorrow where he still turned away from the Lord. Whereas Peter, he's a good example. He denied Jesus, right? On that final night in his greatest hour of need. He denied Jesus and, and he wept bitterly over it. But unlike Judas, rather than continuing to run away, that sorrow ultimately led him to a place where he was throwing himself into the arms of the Lord, saying, I, I do love you, Lord, as Jesus asked him. And so repentance is not just, sorry, I got caught. It's, I'm so sorry, and I desperately want to change. I want to just take this old person that I am and, and peel it away, be done with it, off. And so he's going through this transformation right now. He's making his way out into that water, and I think he's getting it now. It's not the water that's going to fix him. It's that if he is faithful, if he does what the God of Israel wants him to do, then guess what the God of Israel is going to do? He gets it. The God of Israel do the heavy lifting. My part, simple. Just be faithful. Trust him. Dip seven times. And he will do the heavy lifting. He will cleanse me of my leprosy. So he's out into that water doing that. Dip seven times. And in... The original language in the Hebrew, what it says, this is the picture it gives, that he had brand new skin like that of a baby. So just imagine the filth of that leprosy being spotted and blotted, all the blemishes, just what a mess, struck through. But he comes up that seventh time, brand new skin like that of a baby. Well, I remember listening to this and really being captivated and, and really just relating with Naaman, it, it was almost like going to a, a movie. And especially at that time in my life, I loved the escape of going to a movie. Just for a little bit, you could forget about what was going on in the world. Just all the drama, all the static and debris of life. You could go into a dark movie theater, air conditioned, maybe get some popcorn, candy, and a drink, and just live vicariously through a character And like so many of these great movies, right, where the, the character goes through some type of transformation, like Batman, right? He goes through his adversity in the beginning, but it all works out for the hero in the end. Well, this is playing out like another one of these epic movies, right? Naaman was going through it. I'm relating with them. It all works out for him in the end. But unlike Naaman, you know, where's the, where's the way out? And so just like so many of these movies, what happens when it all works out for the hero in the end? Well, typically at that point, the credits begin to roll, the lights come back on, and now it's time for you to go back out and face the world. It's time for you to no longer live vicariously through this character. It's time for you to go back to living the reality that you're in. But I want to make a point that the credits don't roll at all right there, uh, that God provide a way out, just like he did for Naaman. And what is that way out? Well, it's not dipping yourself into some Jordan River. This is what God did for us. You could say that he dipped his son down into the world. That's Jesus. The son of God occupied a human body in Jesus of Nazareth. On a rescue mission, you can call it a hostage rescue mission because sin has a hold of us that way. But this Jesus, he lived what we could call a holy, perfect sinless life. Not for one split second did he ever sin. He lived the life that you and I have not, and if we're being honest, we could not ever live. Holy, perfect, and blameless. And then, you might recall, as the story goes, he went to the cross. Why did he go to the cross? Not to be some example, not to just be some martyr. He went to the cross with explicit purpose. In fact, 
It says this of him in the Gospel of Matthew, right from the start, his purpose, save his people from their sin. So it takes place at the cross. Here's a picture for you. Think about this. Jesus traded skin with you and I. He took our leprosy, as it were, upon himself, our sin, so that we could be switched and lavished with the mercy and grace of God as though we lived the perfect life that he lived. So at the cross, he pays for our sin in full. Wages of sin is death. And the significant part gets left out sometimes. We better hit it. He also rises again from the dead. And what does that show? A myriad of things. But let me hit on this. Not only does he have the power over sin, but by rising again from the dead, significant part here is that it shows that he has power over death as well. Not even the grave can hold him down. And then his words from that resurrected body, speaking of that resurrected life, the life that overcomes the grave, he says, because I live like this, you also shall live. You too can overcome the grave. How? Well, remember, for Naaman, it all started with a turning point. He needed to essentially deny himself. He needed to do a 180. Jesus says, if anyone wants to come after me, what's the starting point? If anyone wants to come after me, they must deny self. That's repentance. Remember, not just how I got caught. It's coming before God and really throwing yourself upon his mercy and saying, God, I am sorry. I am sorry for the life that I have lived in disobedience, turning my back on you, displeasing you. It's sin. You repent of it, and then you put your faith and trust in who? In what? In Jesus. To do what? To do the heavy lifting. Remember, Naaman trusted the God of Israel to do the heavy lifting, and he did the hard part. God did the hard part. Jesus at the cross, he does that heavy lifting if we trust in him. So why do we call him Savior? It's kind of funny. It's like a a nickname or almost like a first name to Jesus, right? Like, he's the Savior. Well, just think about the, the, the meaning of Savior. You're trusting Him to do what He says He will do. Save you from your sin. So the moment any man or woman repents and trusts in Jesus, He pays for that sin in full at the cross. You don't have my word on it. You have God's word on it. He will remember your sin no more. He'll remove it as far away as the east is from the west. It's gone. Removed. But remember this. He's not only our Savior. He's Lord. And as Lord, what does that imply? As Lord, that means that you are on a different track now. He is your commander. He is your assault leader. He's your shot caller. It's not just like, thanks for the insurance plan. I'll see you when I get to heaven. Nah, it's not real. As Lord, he is the one that informs you, just like in a SEAL team, the assault leader tells his boys, here's how I need you to shoot, move, communicate. Here's how I need you to operate. As Lord... He essentially is going to give you a shoot, move, and communicate. He's going to tell you, you know, here's how you should look at things. Here's how you should think about things. This is what you should be communicating. And and where do you get that? Where do you get those SOPs, standard operating procedures? It's all right here in the Bible. You want to know more about Jesus? There's a lot there. You got four biographies about him in the gospel and a lot of other 66 love letters. You should probably get into those and start reading them. All right, so remember the moment a man or woman repents and places their faith and trust in him, forgiven of their sin, and now they've got a whole new track in life, knowing that they will see their creator one day in eternity in heaven. But while you're here on earth, what do you do? Well, he's got a plan. He's got a purpose for you. And it's not to breathe life into your startup, right? It's not about your goals and and your achievements, right? We're supposed to be a living sacrifice. And by being a living sacrifice and denying self, it means that I am getting out of the way so that Jesus can take control and be Lord of my life. And as Lord of your life, that means Jesus, please come in and control every aspect of my life. That's the abundant life right there. And it doesn't mean that you're going to be financially secure or rich or any of those things. The good news of the gospel isn't a good life. 
here on earth is that you overcome the grave. That'd be a funny message. It doesn't make sense of the first century considering that most of Jesus' followers, especially the apostles, they're all killed for being followers of his. And so don't get that twisted, right? And so while you're here on earth, our purpose then is to do what? To make him known. Once you know God, your goal in life is to make him known. Doesn't this make sense now why all of these other pursuits in life leave you hungry and thirsty for more? Why becoming a Navy SEAL for me or professional athletes for others or whatever it is in your life, maybe, that you got your your sights set on leaves you hungry and thirsty for more. But what does Jesus say? He says, if you drink of my living water, you'll never thirst again. How is that? How is that that all these other things leave you thirsty for more? But he says, you take what he has, never thirst again. You never thirst again in the sense that the search is over. You are complete in Christ. You have no need for another. Here's the good news. Now that you got that straightened out, now that you have God as Lord, he's in the throne of your life, the proper category where he belongs, everything else takes its proper seat. And you can actually go back and enjoy some things that maybe you never enjoyed before in a way you never enjoyed before because now they're where they properly belong. I can go back to being a seal after I responded to this message, which I did March 14, 2007. I repented of my sin, placed my faith and trust in Jesus, Savior and Lord, experienced that forgiveness. And now I can go back to being a seal and enjoy in a way I never enjoyed it before. In its proper category, where it always belong. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Before, it was me, me, me. And that will always be like decaf. It just will not deliver. But you can say, I'm going to do it for thee. I'm going to do it in the name of the Lord Jesus. And what that truly does, is it makes the things that you do here on earth suddenly now go from carrying temporal significance to eternal significance. Now the things that you do here on earth, they actually do carry eternal weight. They echo in eternity. So let's fast forward to that final operation. That final operation. I wish I had time to hit all the details. I, I feel I'm going a little long. Uh, but remember, we're going out after this guy. That's a, He's a bomb maker. And uh, we end up getting set up on an ambush, taking fire from three different directions, taking what we call effective fire, meaning the rounds are being very effective. Uh, the, the call over the radio, tick, 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 troops in contact. My assault leaders trying to you know, keep everything steady. All right, boys, we're going to get out of here alive. I need you to push left. He's giving us our shoot, move, and communicate. The whole plan is, is we're going to try and flank these guys. Uh, long story short... We ultimately make it out of that situation alive. Obviously, I'm standing here before you. But I really want to hammer this point home, kind of in closing, is that it doesn't always work out that way. Not everybody always comes back home. Not everyone always comes back home in one piece. And so I think we should remember some of those that have gone before us. You know, in the the SEAL teams, part of our our SEAL creed, it, it wraps up like this. It says, Uh, That in the worst of conditions, I'll rely upon the legacy of those who have gone before me to steady my resolve, to guide my every deed. Legacy. Legacy church. What is a legacy? You know, what, what, what are we really leaving behind? What's the most important legacies? We could look to the legacy of these guys that have paid the ultimate price. You know, a man like Michael Monsoor, who's a U.S. Navy SEAL. And when he's in a place called Ramadi, Iraq, on top of a roof, he's providing cover for other SEALs that are out there on the road from this unknown location. An insurgent comes running up, throws a hand grenade on the roof. It hits Mikey right in the chest, if you can imagine, falls to the dark. And if you can imagine, he had an exit, a step, just, just a step away. But there's some other guys on the roof that were with Mikey, and they didn't have time to get up and make it past a grenade. And so Mikey, in a split-second selfless act, his final words was, grenade, let these guys know, so that they could take cover. As he threw himself on top of that grenade, absorbing the blast of that grenade, taking the shrapnel, the metal, and he died. But because of what he did, all the other guys on the roof, they all lived. You can mark these words down in history. Greater love has no one than this and one that lays down his life for his friends. Remember my friend Scott. You know, one of the last things he ever said to me is, Junior, when I go over there, perhaps I can make a difference. And looking back now, 
although he was killed, dragged through these streets and all these awful things, hung upside down from that Euphrates River Bridge, it wasn't in vain. He was over there for a purpose. He was over there for the sake of freedom. So we're speaking about legacy right now. And the worst conditions are rely upon the legacy of those who have gone before me to study my resolve and guide my every deed. Those are the things that we could look to as Navy SEALs. Those are the things we could look to as Americans that are highly motivating to us. But let's think about one that we could all look to as Christians. Hebrews chapter 11 talks about the legacy of so many heroes of the faith that have gone before us. But the greatest legacy of all is none other than than Jesus. So please think about it this way, guys. Let these guys like Michael Monsoor and Scott Helvinson help you out for a moment. Use them almost like a, a lens to look through, to get a clearer view of what the cross looks like. And they can help you out in this way. That just as Michael Monsoor absorbed the blast of a hand grenade on himself, why? So others could live. Never forget, as you look at Jesus, that he absorbed the blast, didn't he? Not of a hand grenade. At the cross, he absorbed the wrath of our sin. He covered it. Why? So that we could pass by that grenade, as it were, so that we could live with him in eternity. And as my friend Scott, remember, killed and hung from that Euphrates River Bridge ultimately for the sake of freedom. Never forget that Jesus was killed and he was hung, wasn't he? From the cross of Calvary. Why? So that we could be set free for freedom. Greater love has known than this one that lays down his life for his friends. You could see it in men like Mike Monsoor, the legacy of a man like Scott Halvinston, and the greatest legacy of all. Look no further than Jesus of Nazareth there at the cross. And he is not the God of the dead. He is the God of the living. And so maybe you're listening right now and realizing, that's me. I am Naaman. I am that person. I am that man, that woman on the outside in front of my friends and coworkers and family members and social media. Like That is me when in reality underneath it all, I'm a mess. I've got sin in my life. And you want to be cleansed. You don't want to stand before God on judgment day going the wrong way. You want to be forgiven of your sin. That can only come through what the Savior has done at the cross. And you need to do something. You don't earn it. Jesus did all the heavy lifting and all the hard work, but you do need to repent of your sin. You need to do the Naaman thing. Die to yourself. And so if you would like to do that, we're going to close in a word of prayer right now. And I just ask for your sincerity. I can lead you in a prayer. There's nothing magical about the words in the sense that it's not just a matter of repeating words out loud after me. There quite possibly is a scenario where you repeat words out loud after me, but you don't take ownership of them and you don't mean them. Well, it doesn't work like an incantation. It doesn't work that way. The important part about this is you take ownership of this prayer. It's the elements of the prayer. It's a prayer where you're saying, God, I repent of my sin and I believe that Jesus is the Savior. I trust in him to save me from my sin. I believe he died, and I believe he rose again. And so if you're prepared to do that, I am prepared to lead you in this prayer now. If you would, take a moment, wherever you are, bow your head with me. Think about what you say before you say it. Make it meaningful, and it will mean something. It will echo in eternity. And so in this manner, you can pray. Lord Jesus, I know I am a sinner. But you died on the cross for me. I turn from my sin now. And I ask you to be my Savior. Be my Lord. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for dying for me. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Well, there's so much more. that I want to share with you if you did pray that prayer. I do want to assure you, right, if you meant those words, you know if you did. Most importantly, God knows if you did. If you did, 
you have God's word on it. He remembers your sin no more. Removed as far away as the east is from the west. And now not only forgiven of sin, eternity in heaven, but you have a purpose while you're here on earth to advance the kingdom of light against the kingdom of darkness. Put a debt in that kingdom of darkness. And so if you're watching right now and you want to know, like, how can I take part in this? Or how can I get to know God even more and grow more, right? Well, wherever you're watching this, just look for a link in the video description and uh, we will get you those standard operating procedures to you. Uh, it's a way that you could reach out uh, to Legacy. It's a way that you could reach out uh, to Pastor Josh. And so I hope this message finds you all uh, doing well. And I just want to encourage you, take ground for the kingdom. I'll leave you with these words by C.S. Lewis. They're beautiful. He says, enemy-occupied territory, that is what this world is. But Christianity is the story of how our rightful king has landed You might say in disguise, and now he's calling us all to take part in his great campaign of sabotage. Well, being a part of a campaign of sabotage, I don't know about you, but that really resonates with me. So while we're here, we are his sled dogs. Let's give our master a good run. God bless you guys. Out. Pastor Josh is very uh, kind to allow me to mention something about uh, the shirt that I have on here. And uh, they will be available if you go to the link in the video description box. And so in the SEAL teams, we're called Frogmen. You might have heard Navy SEALs be called Frogmen before. And we wear something called a bone frog. And that bone frog has significance because it is to honor and remember fallen frogmen that have died on the battlefield. And so we've got the frog on the shirt with one of our, our mottos on the front. The only easy day was yesterday. And uh, that could be adopted in the Christian life as well. That's taken up your cross daily. Here's the cool thing, though. Besides the uh, flag on the sleeve is the frog being on the back of the shirt. And then you might recognize those words. On the back of the shirt, it says, Greater love has no one than this, the one that lays on his life for his friends. And so this obviously honors these frogmen uh, that have shed their blood for our temporal freedoms. But one thing to notice, there's no scripture reference on the back. And why? Well, because if there was a scripture reference, anyone that needs to know who said those words won't ask you about it because they'll see the scripture reference and they'll go, oh, that's a pretty cool looking frog. Oh, I like that saying. Oh, whoa, whoa, I'm not going to step into that one. It's one of those Bible shirts. So no scripture reference. And it's amazing how this plays out. People ask about the frog, and it's a great opportunity for you to say, yeah, look at these guys, frogmen, they've shed their blood for earthly freedoms. And then they read those words. Oh, yes, those words. Let me tell you something. That was Jesus. Just as these guys shed their blood for our earthly freedom, that Jesus shed his blood for your eternal freedom. Here's what I get hands down every time. It's crazy. I get asked about this wherever I'm at. They go, I never thought about it that way. And so this shirt has actually turned out to be a great evangelistic tool, an opportunity to share Christ with other people. And so I also got it uh, on a hat here as well. And then finally, I didn't have time to get around to the details, right, of that that ambush and how that all played out. And so do you guys want to know how that played out? Okay. You got to get the book. All right. So make sure you go to the video description link and uh, I will sign any copies uh, that you get and you can get that, that hat and that shirt as well. Thank you guys. I really appreciate it. Take care.